Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which you can buy at any bookstore um, or at Amazon.com or wherever you get your, your books. I am also an avid reader of current events, and I read everything from the New York Times to Daily Beast to the Washington Post to the occasional dip into People magazine. And that's where I found this week's guest, Keisha Yeres. We'll get her on the phone a little bit. Um, but boy, there's been a lot in the news this week that pertains to our interests, hasn't there? Um, one thing I read is oh, Ted Cruz. He was bragging about the U.S. C-section rate. Um, as proof that we not only do healthcare better here in the United States, but we do more healthcare. And he got called out, but good, because he got that so, so wrong. It's not the amount of healthcare services we load onto a patient that determines whether our healthcare is any good, it's the outcomes. Are our patients healthier, safer, and better? able to live their lives as a result of the health care that they receive. Doing more C-sections than other countries does not give us healthy outcomes. And in fact, it's directly linked to why the U.S. maternal mortality rates are rising while other countries are dropping. It's because we do too much. People, you know, people get confused about that whole C-section thing, and I'm fairly used to it. But what annoyed the heck out of me is that Someone who is clearly not well-versed in maternal health is using or misusing maternal health data to prove a point. Cruz was on the stage with Bernie Sanders during CNN's Affordable Care Act debate um, just the other night, and here's what he actually said. Let me give you some basic facts. Then he went on to explain that there was a simple reason that medical care in the U.S. costs more than it does in um, the United Kingdom or France or Germany. And he says, we get a lot more and a lot better. The United States population controlled delivers three times as many mammograms as Europe, two and a half times the number of MRI scans and 31% more C-sections. We provide more health care. Well, <laughs> he had all those facts wrong. None of them were the true basic facts. But that didn't stop him from mansplaining Sanders on an issue he clearly knows nothing at all about. Um, he comes from Texas. Texas maternal mortality rate has more than doubled in recent years. Um, and, you know, that's partly because of healthcare policies that he supports. And, you know, that's what makes me so mad that our health and our health care is in the hands of ignorant dudes with their own personal agendas. It makes me mad, and yet we persist. I'm also following pretty closely to the firestorm created when Senator Mitch McConnell silenced Senator Elizabeth Warren, Warren <clears throat> excuse me, and refused to let her read a letter from um, Coretta Scott King on why Jeff Sessions should not be confirmed as attorney general. And McConnell said in explanation for why he silenced her, she was warned, she was given an explanation, nevertheless, she persisted. Damn right she did. She read the letter outside the hearing room, and then several male senators read the same letter during the same hearing without being silenced, and now she persisted 
has become a feminist battle cry. So instead of silencing Warren, he accidentally um, gave her the big spotlight on her and on Coretta Scott King and on the million ways that women all over the world are squashed when they speak up. And even though Sessions was ultimately confirmed, millions of Americans are watching. Millions of women. And in 2018, we'll be voting again for who will be our senators, congressmen and women, and governors. And we will remember this. We will persist. You have been warned. We'll explain it again, but we will persist. You know, any woman knows this. We're a lot stronger than most men give us credit for. We're brave too. And that's what our guest and I are going to talk about today. Keisha Yeris is a runner, a domestic violence advocate, and a mother. And she and I have a lot to talk about. So let's get her on the line. Hello. Hi, Keisha. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks. Uh, I'm catching you in in New York, aren't I? I am. I am in New York. And I was there last week and it was drizzly but not icy, which was really a lovely break because we've been having nothing but ice here in Portland. Yeah, a couple of days actually, a couple of days ago, we, we got a, a ice storm. Um but it's been warm ever since, so it's been uh, enjoyable weather. Oh, good. And an ice storm doesn't shut the whole city down? Um, well, I'm upstate New York, mm-hmm. um, so it can shut uh, shut uh, upstate New York down. Uh, the city, you know, it's, it's, it's more mobile, so. Not so bad. Not so bad, yeah. Not so bad. Where do you live? I live in Brewster, uh, <laughs> which is about 45 minutes to an hour away from the city. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, Keisha, generally, you know, when I do these conversations, I have a a bio to read or something like that. But um, I saw your story in People magazine and I wanted to get in touch. Um, And then I read your essay in Women's Running and I was really interested in your story and partly because of the running, which is something, you know, we've talked about on the podcast here a few times, you know, the, the connection between running or any athletic activity and your ability to, you know, mother well or parent well. But, you know, I was also really interested in your experience with domestic violence and with depression. And then I thought I read in the last line of your essay in Women's Running um, that you mentioned that your daughter has disabilities. And that just seemed like so many issues that we could dig into. And so I thought I'd just, we'd just get started. Cool. Yeah, sure. Yes, Uh sure. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. My first question is always, who are you and what do you do? Um, So I am a mother. I am a triathlete. I am a runner. I am a Latina. And um, I am a domestic violence survivor. Okay. Uh, I work, um, I currently work for the city of New York. I am a domestic, uh, I'm sorry, I am a child abuse investigator for the city of New York. That's a badass job. Yeah, I've been doing that for the last 12 years. Wow. That's a badass job. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty rewarding, but also sad at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I spoke with a community health nurse in California sometime back, who is the nurse who goes in at those crises moments to take care of the children. And it's a similar, similar, badass job, hard, hard work. Yeah. 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 Well, we can make some changes, you know, and 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 do uh, do some good work with uh, these kids and and their parents. Um, it's rewarding. Yeah. So tell me about why you were in People Magazine. Tell me your story. Um. So basically, um, it started with a friend of mine. Uh, Women's Running uh, does a contest every year, and they pick their cover model um, through this contest. And a friend of mine, who's also a runner, suggested that I, knowing my story, suggested that I submit my story to Women's Running. She, she thought that it would be a good story, and she actually thought that I would win. Of course, I didn't think I would win because, you know, everybody has a story as to why they start running. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one just starts running because they just want to run. So, um, so after a couple of attempts on my cell phone, I was actually at work, and she's like, you, you have to submit for it. So after a couple of attempts on their website um, – I submitted my story, um, and there were 3,000 entries, and out of those 3,000 entries, they narrowed it down to eight finalists, um, and then it went live for voting, and um, I believe it was for a month it went live for voting, and after that, I received over 10,000 votes. My story received over 10,000 votes, and um, I was the winner for the cover uh, cover model contest. Well, tell us your story. Okay, I'll tell you my story. So um, I was married for 10 years. I was in a relationship for 15. Um, I started my relationship very young. I was 16 and out of um, and in, in high school. And um, my husband at that time, he was 10 years older than I was. And, um, of course, my parents were against it, but... Um, you know, they said, you know, she's going to do it behind our back. I'd rather, you know, meet this guy and know who she's with. Um, so they basically kind of allowed it. Um, you were an adult. So the relationship right? was, uh, well, I was 16 at the time. Well, I got married oh. as an adult. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got married. Yes. Yes. I was already, I, when I got married, I was, um, I was 21, uh, when I got married. Mm-hmm. So yes, I was already an adult, but I had, um, I had started the relationship as boyfriend and girl when we, when I was 16. Ah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was very young. It was very young. Um, so basically, you know, the relationship was a normal relationship. It was good in the beginning. And then eventually it became um, hostile, trying to, you know, trying to control, um, trying to, you know, get me to do what he wanted me to do. Um, basically didn't have a voice. Um, and this happened probably about, I want to say about eight years into the relationship. Um, I kept going back and forth. Uh, my parents, you know, weren't aware of what was happening. Um, and, um, I had left several times, left the relationship several times where I always ended up going back. Um, like I said, it's almost, uh, like an, like a drug addiction, but a mm-hmm. different type of addiction. Um, you know, you're not ready to leave until you're ready to leave. And did you have your daughter? Um, did you have your daughter by then? I, I didn't have my daughter until I was 25. Mm-hmm. Um, so my daughter, so she was exposed to the relationship for about four years mm-hmm. um, after it all began. Mm-hmm. So um, 
So I left the relationship after I had my daughter. I, I, I was already working for Children's Services. And I said to myself, you know, here I am. I'm making these home visits. I am telling my clients that, you know, they can't live in domestic violence relationships. And here I am doing the same thing that I'm telling them not to do, uh, basically hiding it. Yeah. And um, it just didn't fall well with me. It didn't sit well with me um, after a while. And um, when it when it, when it came to the time of me exposing my daughter to that type of relationship, I, I kind of thought twice, you know, when it's just you, it's like, OK, I can you know, I can deal with this by myself. But when it's you and, and the life of someone else, um, you know, someone who's innocent, who doesn't know what's happening, then you kind of think twice about your decisions. Um, so basically, I decided to leave. Um, I decided to leave. I got my own little apartment in the Bronx, which is where I grew up. I, I wasn't always upstate New York. And um, me and I left everything behind, uh, furniture, everything. Um, just took my daughter, took our clothes and, and built a... Uh, our little home and a small one bedroom apartment. We share, we share a bedroom and we basically started all over again. Um, during that time, it was, it was difficult because I had been with someone, you know, since I was 16 years old, I didn't know what it was to be by myself. Um, so I was working in the Bronx as well, um, for the city. And there was a trail behind my building at work. And I will often go out and take walks there. And it's very busy during the summertime. It's, um, there's a lot of walkers. There's a lot of runners. Um, there's a lot of joggers. There's a lot of bikers. And just people taking a stroll, even, even colleagues uh, taking a stroll on their lunch break. Mm -hmm. So I started walking. And then eventually I said, you know what? I, I think I could do a little bit of running. And I started running. And then it became walk-run. Um, until I was able to build enough stamina and endurance to completely just, just run. Um, I saw how good I felt afterwards. Um, I had, of course, gained some weight during my pregnancy, uh, which was pretty hard to, to shed. I, I had started Weight Watchers. Um, and at a point in time where I, when I was doing the Weight Watchers program, I kind of hit a plateau. And I wasn't lo losing any more weight. But as I started to run, I started to shed more, more and more weight and feel better about myself. I was also going to therapy during that time. And I just didn't want that to be a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to find other ways to cope with my stress, other ways to cope with my anxiety, other ways to cope with my depression. Um, it was a really dark time for me. And during that time of, of being alone and trying to figure out what was in store for me next... Um, that depression kind of took over me and my mom who lives in Florida actually had to come, come, uh, come and help me, uh, for almost a month because I was going to work. But when I was coming home, I was locking myself in a room. Um, I was crying a lot. I lost a lot of weight. Um, it was just a really dark time for me. Um, and, and, and I just this... couldn't take care of my daughter. Yeah. Was this immediately after you left your husband? It was immediately. It was yeah. immediately. I was I was confused. Um, should I have left? Should I have not left? Um, didn't know if I made the right decision. Yeah, yeah. You know, with time, you kind of figure out that yes, you you did make the right decision, but it does take time for you to figure that out. Yeah. Were you injured in this relationship? Were you physically injured? Um, yeah, it was, it was emotional. It was physical at times. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't the girl that walked around with glasses and a black and blue eye. 
Um, but there were, there were actually times where it was physical and actually my, my family found out because of an incident, um, that took place in the city. Um, I recall going to, to a restaurant to actually celebrate our anniversary and, um, he became violent in the car and actually bit me and bit me in my arm and bit me in my face. And I had to call the police and my parents eventually had to come and pick me up. And, and that's how they found out how severe it had turned. Was that the last straw? That was actually not the last straw. I, I went back after that. I went back after that. Oh, I know that you're so, story... you know, it's, it's what I tell you. Yeah. It's, it's like, I tell you, um, you know, it's, it's like an addiction, uh-huh. you know, it's not, it's not over till it's over, you know, until yeah. you know, mentally and physically that this is it for you, that's when you, that's when you walk away. Well, sure. Well, you, you know, there was some love there. There was history. There was a child. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I know that the question is asked oftentimes, why didn't she leave? And the list of reasons is so long and so complicated. And, you know, it's, it's everything. It's history and love and children and economics and pride and all of it, all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it was more emotional and, 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 and an attachment. It was yeah. more of an attachment. It, you know, I've always worked. I've worked since I was very young. Um, you know, I've been very self-sufficient since I, I, I was young. I, mm-hmm. I went to college. I got my degree. Um, and, and. and you know, it was never a time where he completely took care of me. We basically can say that financially we took care of, of the household bills together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't financial. It wasn't economics for me. It was more of an attachment issue. Sure, sure. Especially, you know, starting so, so young. That's that's a a time when you're leaving your family and you're attaching to somebody else. Yeah, that's a big bond. And you got depressed. Was that something that had been part of your life or was it something that was episodic? Um, I've always been a very happy-go-lucky type of girl. Um, it, depression was not part of me when I was, when I was young. I mm-hmm. think I've always been pretty happy. I think it happened as a result of, of leaving mm-hmm. and not knowing. You know, the unknown is always difficult. Sure, especially when you have a child dependent on you. Yeah. And my daughter, you know, she was young. She was uh, she was three years old at the time. And, um, you know, she knew that mom and dad together in a home. You know, she she wasn't asking too many questions, you know, with her. uh, The good thing is that she adjusts very well. Mm -hmm. Um, She easily adjusted. Um, She didn't ask too many questions. But when she did, it was difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, Obviously, he didn't want the relationship to end. So, you know, there's there comes the probing and the questions and the following and, you know, asking her questions, which then, you know, prompts her to ask more questions as to why mommy and daddy are not together anymore. Why mm-hmm. can't daddy sleep over? Why can't mommy stay at daddy's house? Mm-hmm. Um, and those become difficult to answer because, you know, she she doesn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Is your ex still in your life and in your daughter's life? He is involved. He, he, he currently sees Haley every two weeks on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, if I ask him for help during the week, um, you know, my, 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 my job is not 
a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes I have to work very late. So if I ask him for help, you know, things have improved throughout the years. It's it's been five years. Mm -hmm. Um, In the beginning, there was no no help. He actually has stopped seeing her for a while in the beginning. He stopped seeing her for almost a year. Hmm. And I had to kind of put my foot down and say, you're, you're not going to come in and, in and out of her life this way. It's not good for her. If you're going to be in her life, you're going to be in her life um, and not in and out. Hmm. I, I, I remember one time him um, calling her on FaceTime and her begging him to to pick her up. And, and I just, I had to stop the call. And I said, my daughter will not beg for anyone's attention. If you're going to meet, if you're going to pick her up and you're going to see her, you're going to meet her on this day at this time at this gas station. And from there on, you're going to continue to pick her up. Because if not, um, I'm not going to allow you to speak to her. It's mm-hmm. doing more damage to her than it's doing any good. So I had to make tough decisions um, when it came to her. Uh, for her emotional sake. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, that's the biggest job of parenting, isn't it? Making the tough decisions. It is. Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned a little earlier, you know, about how you needed to relook at your situation, you know, because of your daughter. And, um, you know, how much did did having a daughter affect your perspective about the abuse you lived with? Do you think it would have been different if it was a son? Um, no, I think it would have been the same. Yeah. Um, you know, as parents, we tend to nurture our children and and want the best for them. And I don't think a gender has anything to do with that. I think I would have protected a male just as much as I would have, you know, protected my daughter. Yeah, yeah. I've spent the last few weeks um, in D.C. and New York talking about gender and gender equity and women's empowerment and especially in terms of the changes that we're seeing right now in our political climate. And your story sure sounds like an empowerment story to me. I hope, I hope that, that, that was, um, I think that was the biggest challenge for me. Um, when I first entered the contest, did I want to share my story Did I want my, you know, my personal business out there, um, being that I'm, one employee for the city of New York, being that Haley would be exposed to, you know, to the story. But eventually, you know, I came to terms and said, you know, this is who I am. This Mm -hmm. is, this is what I dealt with. And Mm -hmm. if it helped me, it's going to help other women as well. And if it empowers them and and gets them out of difficult situations and bad relationships, then so be it. Yeah. How did you find your brave? I think my brave came, um, has, has has gradually, you know, has gradually started. And I, I think that has a lot to do with where I am and the place that I am now, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's taken me a long time. Like I said, I went to therapy for two years. And um, I remember a, a mentor um, and a teacher actually telling me that you actually, a client goes to counseling until they hear their own echoes. And um, I felt that that was true. When I was going through counseling, I started to hear myself speak. And I said to myself, wow, you know, I, I come here every two, uh, I come here two days a week and I'm starting to really hear myself over and over and over again. I think it's time for me to stop coming to therapy. Like I know what the problem is mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's how I, that's how I became, you know, became stronger little by little. I started to run, found something else other than therapy, and that was running for me. 
um, started to feel better about myself. Um, and eventually I think that's how it came. That's how the brave came. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. It's pretty powerful when you actually start moving your body, you know, and, and I think specifically with something that's kind of repetitive, like running or swimming or something like that, or, or bike riding, you sit there, you move, you sit there. I mean, you move, you think, and you settle into yourself. Yeah. 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 And you, you know, you start making goals for yourself. When I first started, I I couldn't run not even a quarter of a mile. And eventually I did my first 5k. Then I went on to do a 10k, then a half marathon, and then my full marathon. Um, And then after that, I set another goal to complete an Ironman race. Wow. And who would have thought, who would have thought that I would have been um, as active? You did a full Ironman? I did a full Ironman this oh. past October 1st. I oh did a half God. Ironman first, and then I did a full Ironman this past October 1st. Well, let's just give you some bragging rights and tell people what the distances are on that. Uh, so a uh, half Ironman is 70.3, and a full Ironman is 140.6 miles. And that uh, so is, yeah, tell me tell me what it is. First, you... So First, uh, for the full Ironman, you swim 2.4 miles. Uh, then right after you come out of the water, you're running onto transition into the bike to bike 112 miles. And then once you come back from the bike, you're running into transition again, and you're putting on your sneakers, and you're running a full marathon 26.2 miles. Oh, my God. How long did it take <laughs> you? Uh, it took me 13 hours uh, and 34 minutes. I cannot imagine. I can't even imagine. I know people who have that done it. That training. Yeah, that training in itself, I think, gave me so much freedom and so and empowered me so much. I had so many people um, following my Ironman journey and encouraging me, people who had done Ironmans, people who wanted to do Ironmans, um, just encouraging me, providing me with support, um, and it was a pretty good experience and provided me with a lot of empowerment. I bet. Um, it was basically the race of all races for me. Yeah. Will you do it again? Actually, um, I, yes, I just actually was, um, Iron Man just reached back out to me after uh, learning my story mm-hmm. and invited me back to do an Iron Man. So I will be doing one this summer. Wow. So how old is your daughter now? Haley's nine. All right. So I was going to ask you how you manage the, you know, the work, the child care, the home life juggle, but she's nine. She's in school. She's in school. Yeah. Um, it's still pretty difficult um, because like I said, my job is not a regular nine to five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've learned how to manage. Uh, I do have some support systems, you know, friends, you know, even coworkers who have become like family. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to work late, I have a couple of friends from work who will pick her up, stay with her until I'm finished working. Mm-hmm. I have a really good um, friend of mine who actually goes to school with Haley, who made possible for me to receive my master's degree this past May. Um, she actually took upon the role of, of watching Haley overnight so that I can go to school at night after work, mm-hmm. um, and finish my master's degree this past May. Thank God for girlfriends and sisters and aunties and mothers and grandmothers and all the women in our life that fill in the gaps. Yeah. Support, yeah. support, support. It is so important to have that support system. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So um, I just have a couple of other questions for you. Um, how would you finish the statement, nobody ever told me that? No one, nobody ever told me that comfort is bad. Oh, you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say comfort is bad is because you kind of stagnate um, and, and don't kind of move forward. You kind of, you get comfortable with where you're at and you tend to forget to set goals for yourself. You tend to forget how self-care is important. Mm-hmm. Um, you tend to forget how your community is important. You tend to forget how important it is um, for you to have family and people in your life who empower you and support you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I don't think it's ever good to be comfortable. I was once comfortable. I'm no longer comfortable. I set goals for myself. Um, and, and I try and have, uh, accomplished every goal I've set for myself in the last five years. Excellent. Yeah. Growth is outside the comfort zone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, I've learned that from I've re- I've learned that from running. Mm-hmm. It's okay not to be comfortable while you're running. Yeah, yeah. So, what else do you want people to know about you and your story? And um, you know, I I normally don't um don't describe myself or introduce myself as a as a victim of domestic violence. I think I'm so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I'm a mother. I'm a marathoner. I'm a triathlete. I'm a Latina. Um, I'm, I'm strong. And um, I hope that my voice and my story carries through mm-hmm. um, so that those in the same situation as me can find some encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the very least, you know, um, find support systems because, you know, you're not ready to leave until you're not ready to leave. And those support systems are very, very important. To have people that don't judge you, um, that understand your situation, um, is important. Yeah. And find that trail. Find that trail yes. out back of your office. Yes. Wherever yes, that definitely is. Always. Yeah. Wherever that is, whatever is going to lead you, it's always going to lead you somewhere positive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my last question for you then, Keisha, is where are you in your life as a mom? As a mom right now, I am still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, Haley has, Haley's dyslexic. She's getting uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy in school. She also gets other services um, in school, such as tutoring. And I learn from her every day. Her disabilities um, do not define who she is. Uh, she has a voice. She has a right to learn just like every other child. Um, it took me a very long time to fight for her educational rights, um, and to fight for her services, which, which I did. It wasn't an easy journey, um, because everything is politics and finances. Also when it comes to, to, to education, even our Um, children, even with our children. Yeah. Yeah. Even with our children, even with free public education, (laughs) um, it's not always easy. Um, so you know, I, I struggled for a little while, but, you know, I've always been very goal oriented. I've always been very uh, powerful in, in fighting for what's right. And I knew that my daughter deserved these services. And 
I knew that I had to get them some way, somehow. Initially, I started her evaluation privately. I didn't even go through uh, the Department of Education. I started it privately for her. Um, and I knew what she needed. So when I went to the Board of Education and presented these issues that my daughter was having, I was not going to settle um, for what a doctor had prescribed for my daughter. Mm-hmm. So to me, a reevaluation through the Department of Education was not going to supersede what a doctor had said my daughter needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of parenting, um, I'm learning every day. Haley is a totally spunky child. She has the best, best, um, she, she wakes up in a great mood. Um, and she makes me smile every day. I learn something new from her on a daily basis. She doesn't take anything too seriously. Um, you know, I have to, she, she has ADHD as well. So I have to constantly um, monitor her, keep her on a schedule so that she stays on track. But with the services, she's doing great. Um, I had to also make a decision to put her on medication. So, you know, parenting gives you a lot of ups and downs and is a lot of decision making mm-hmm. um, that you don't know. You never know if they're going, if they're the right decision. If you're making the right decision, you're never going to know yeah. until you continue to follow that path and see where it leads. There's yeah. always tweaking to parenting. Yep, yep. Every single day, all day long. Every, <laughs> every day, every day. But uh-huh. I'm thankful and I'm grateful that that I can, you know, that I can fight for her yeah. and that we're in a place where, you know what, my voice can be heard and I can continue to fight for her for as long as I'm here. I think that your your willingness to be flexible and continue learning and trying and tweaking things as you go is a real strength. I've seen parents um go about the similar, very similar challenges with a much more rigid format. And their goal is to, you know, create the framework and expect the child to fit the framework. And, um, you know, sometimes that works. A lot of times it doesn't. And, you know, you're smart. You're smart. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely embraced the fact that she learns differently and have found and tried to find other ways to to teach her and even um, have gone to to her school and said, this is how she learns this. Can you try it this way? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, can you try to tweak how she learns? Can you take her away from this uh, scenario, this, you know, and and have her sit by herself so that maybe she can concentrate a little better? Um, I've tried and I will continue to try everything to to get her to succeed. Mm -hmm. She's lucky that you're her mom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Keisha, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. It's been really. Thank you. Yeah, really inspiring. And I think that. Thank you so much. There are a lot of women who are going to be listening to this who are going to recognize themselves in your story. And, you know, I hope that, um, like I said, I hope that this brings um, comfort to some people Mm -hmm. Um, and motivation and inspiration. Motivation. Yes. Yes. All of those good things. All of those good things. Yeah. If somebody can go from a position where they feel like they have no power to you know, holding a really high level bad, badass job. I've just got to say it again. And <laughs> working on your second triathlon, that's, 
That's possible, folks. That's possible. That's what's Absolutely. possible. Yeah. Absolutely. Nothing's ever permanent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk again down the road. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Our guest today is Keisha Yeras, and you can read more about her story at people.com and womensrunning.competitor.com. Uh, Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. You can find out more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. You can tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Email me, gene at jeanfaulkner. And thanks for listening and sharing and subscribing and for picking up a copy of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy. Let's talk again next week, okay? Bye-bye.